1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. So glad you made it back today. Uh, I don't, as of right now, as far as I know, unless someone corrects me, Donald Trump is still a free man on this Tuesday. He hasn't been indicted. He hasn't been put in cuffs, no perp walk as of right now. And so that's as of right now. Things could change by the time you hear this. And so uh, with Donald Trump free to have a good time in Mar-a-Lago and hit the golf course and do whatever he wants, uh, we're gonna turn our attention back a little bit to the world of sports and what's going on in the sports world. And we got our main man, Steve Kim, here to do it with us today. We'll talk a little Cam Newton. He's trying to get back into the NFL and a few other sports-related topics. Delano Squires uh, will be here. He's actually written a column that touches on Donald Trump, but moves to a broader topic about black Democrats and their devotion to the LGBTQ movement, rather than their devotion to uh, black voters. Uh, So we'll do that. But before we get into any of that, I want to tell you guys about... (laughs) my friends at Patriot Mobile. This has been one of the best investments I've made in 2023, was finally switching my service away from the big boys and to a company that has my values, shares my point of view, is pro-life, is pro-America, is pro all the things that I love and respect about this country. That's why I have a Patriot mobile phone and I absolutely love it. I needed a phone upgrade. The service has been spectacular. I can honestly say I have not had, this is without exaggeration. I haven't dropped one phone call. Had this phone now for about a month. I'm I'm transitioning. I still have my other phone line because you know, not everybody has my new number as of yet, but This is the only phone I carry now. It's the only phone I use. I got all my apps on here. This has been awesome. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. Offers dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks. So you can get the best possible service in your area. Plus, they offer a coverage guarantee you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch to a different network for free without changing carriers. All this plus the knowledge that you are supporting free speech, the sanctity of life, the Second Amendment, our military, our first responders, our heroes, our American employees. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Jason or call them right now at 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Jason. We need to stand together and support companies that share our values. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Jason or call 878-PATRIOT. God, I'm going because I've now had this for a month and because the service has been spectacular. My passion for for pushing you to do the right thing. We have to have a parallel economy. We can't be dependent on woke companies that are tearing down this country. Again, I talk every day on this show about the little things, the little slight inconveniences we have to go through in order to push back and fix this country? This sounds like a hassle. Get switching over, getting a new phone carrier. Or would you rather just continue to throw your money at companies that are fighting everything that you stand for? When you could be working with Patriot Mobile, like me, experiencing this great service, like me, while knowing you're supporting a company that thinks like you. Guys, I'm not playing around here. There's tiny inconveniences. If you want to avoid the big inconveniences that are heading our way because we refuse to get up off our rear end and fight this system in the only place the only in the only place they respect, and that's in their pocketbook. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. Be a good, fearless soldier. I you know how many people have my old phone number? And and I'm switched to Patriot Mobile. That's how much I believe. I need you to believe that much as well. Send me an email fearlessblaze show at gmail when you make the switch. When you make that switch, you put it in your subject line Patriot Mobile. When you make that switch, you will hear from me. Per- you know what? Put your phone number in there. Put your new phone number in there. Serious business. You, you put your new phone number in there, Patriot Mobile, send me some sort of receipt that you switched to Patriot Mobile. I'm gonna try to call you. We can chit chat and talk about our new Patriot Mobile phones. All right, uh, let's go out to Los Angeles and bring in our main man, uh, the Korean co We missed Steve Kim yesterday, or you, at least you guys missed Steve Kim yesterday. I didn't, I actually enjoyed not having to interact with Steve Kim uh, yesterday. But uh, I heard the complaints from you all. And so Steve Kim is back with us. Uh, Steve, uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, Cam Newton. He's he's participating in Pro Day at Auburn. I'm not sure if I like the way that he's going about this. Let's play the, this is just a short video of Cam hyping his Uh, Tryout at Pro Day. uh, What a dozen years after he left Auburn. Let's watch this video.
0: Tell me how these randoms keep getting jobs. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna say. I can't wait to say it. I love it. seen a lot of people toiling the idea and it's official. I will be throwing at Albert's pro day Tuesday.
2: What What's up? What
0: Ain't 32 better than me you did. <laughs> hmm.
1: So I can just imagine Cam at Pro Day throwing against air, getting into somebody's cell phone's face or cell phone camera.
3: I'm back! Uh,
1: Cam has learned nothing, Steve. He, he's, he still thinks it's, you know, 2010 all over again. Do, do you like the way Cam is coming, trying to come back to the NFL?
4: You know, if this was an episode of Married with Children, this would be Al Bundy at the 20th high school reunion for Polkai, wearing his Letterman jacket, talking about the four touchdowns he scored in that one game, over and over and over again. But this is what happens, though, about um, self-reflection and self-awareness. If you're going to be a backup or a lower tier starter, I don't think teams look for this, this flamboyance. You can get away with it when you're the best player in the league or the MVP like you were in 2015. Now, Jason, you would have to refresh my memory. I've never seen anything like this where a established veteran, especially one of his stature, actually has to go back to pro day. Think about this. If we use a music analogy, this is like a performer – uh, let's say Anita Baker, the great Miss Baker, played at every single major concert hall in the country from Carnegie Hall to the Hollywood Bowl to the Forum to Madison Square Garden. And then uh, as her last album or so went aluminum, she has to go back to uh, late night at the Apollo amateur hour. And next thing you know, Sandman Sims might be doing the crip out there jettisoning her out or kiki Shepard putting the hand on her, thinking, oh my god do you really is it really worth it i don't get it because here's the thing i will agree with with cameron he might be one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the league but i would say in all fairness based on where he's at the erosion of skills recent performance he'd probably be among the lower third of starting quarterbacks right do you want all of that for your low for a guy of that caliber Uh, Honestly, and then what would he ask for financially? That's the other issue that I have, but this has been a very, very strange descent from a once-former great player.
1: Look, I don't think over the last two to three years, Cam was one of the best 32 quarterbacks. Warren Sharp did a breakdown of him uh, over Twitter where he talked about, uh, I think, Cam ranking... Number 41 in, in many statistical categories over the last, over some certain time period. I'm about to to call it up, but Warren Sharp, who's one of the smartest guys covering the NFL and doing statistical breakdowns, really, really trashed Cam Newton. Cam Newton ranks in 2015 out of 44 quarterbacks. This is in 2015. 15, his first five years in the league, and, and so he was ranked very high. And then Cam Newton's rank out of 46 quarterbacks since 2019. 46 in TDs per interceptions, 46 in TDs per attempt, 45th in completion percentage over expectation, 43rd in EPA slash attempts. Uh, 41st in target depth, 40th in accuracy, 38 in completion percentage, 34 in success rate, 33 in yards per attempt. He's not, since 2019, he's not one of the best 32 quarterbacks. and, and, And the thing that's going to stop teams from offering him a deal is, His mentality should just be, I want to get back into the NFL and let the chips fall where they may. Not how these randos getting jobs, and I'm one of the best 32 quarterbacks. He's beating his fist saying, I'm a starter. Someone signed me to be a starter in the league. And, and, And so they're like, are we going to deal with Cam's delusion? His personality's so big, he's made so much money in the NFL when you put him in that locker room, there may be guys in the locker room that are like, man, we got Cam Newton here. Look how big he looks like Tarzan in, you know, in his gym shorts and T-shirt, and, and Cam used to be the MVP. It could fool you into thinking Cam should be the starter, and teams just don't want that kind of distraction. They don't want the backup quarterback to be a distraction. And so Cam is really, the, with his approach – is is keeping teams away from signing him as a potential backup in this league?
4: You know, I don't disagree, but Jason, let's put some context on what's happened since 2019. Look, one of them was a COVID year with the Patriots. The other one, we, it came in as a midseason backup. I, I don't know if I would completely judge him off of that. Now, is there an erosion of athleticism? I believe there is. Has his production dipped since 2015, that magical MVP year? Yes. But I'm just saying, if you actually said at the beginning of training camp, you're our starter, we're going to have the installs with you, you're going to go through all the training camp, passing camps, and then the full camp with a decent amount of weapons, I think you can still be solid and serviceable. But you're right. It's that mentality. Uh, You know, when you're young and you're passionate, that athletic arrogance or confidence is your greatest weapon. But when you start hitting that wall, okay, and it's like that great diva, When she's 25, she's the hottest girl on the block. And when she's 40 and she doesn't look quite the same and she does not age well, it looks different and it is different. And they don't know their place in society, in life and entertainment. That's kind of the same thing that I see with Cam Newton. Uh, If Cam Newton was Janet Jackson, he'd still think he's in control in 1988. It's really not that anymore. I hate to say it. And Cam has to realize one thing at his age and his style of play, Uh, He's a bridge. He's a stopgap to the next quarterback. I I believe for a while, there's basically two types of teams in the National Football League. There's ones that have their quarterbacks and ones that are looking for their next quarterback. And basically, you're either with an established guy or a guy we're trying to get rid of. And Newton's going to have to be very realistic about it. Look, I want to make some money. I still want to play some football. I want to get all out of the gas tank. But I realize I may not even really be the present quarterback, even if I get a starting job, and I certainly will not be the future.
1: Here's what I, I went through this with my favorite NFL player and quarterback of all time, Jeff George, my high school teammate and friend. And people got to remember, we're, we're, we're friends. So hear me out and understand that we're friends and have been for a long, long time. Jeff George, the NFL, dusted themselves of Jeff George when he still had the physical skills to play quarterback at a high level. They moved on from him because they said, mentally, he's not in the right place for what we want out of him. And so at age 34, he struggled. Age 35, he struggled. He was basically out like Cam, just begging anybody to give him a shot, and most teams did not and would not because they didn't feel he was in the right mental space. He wanted to be a starter, he wanted to compete for a starting job. He would tell anybody he's a starter. He wasn't in a backups mentality that that and you just have to humble yourself and perhaps take a role that doesn't suit your talent and then sneak up on people and and get in that situation like he had in Minnesota. Uh, when I think Randall Cunningham got hurt and Jeff got back out on the field and played really, really well at a high level for the Minnesota Vikings, had him in the playoffs. He and Chris Carter and Randy Moss were making magic, the whole deal. That, that Cam physically can still play in the league. The other thing working against Cam, though, is at his age, he has to be a pocket passer, and that's never been his strong suit. That, that, that's, he never mastered all the things in the pocket, footwork, uh, discipline with his arm and all those things, getting the ball out on time. Those were never his strengths. And, and instead of being this loud, flamboyant, these randos and let me put out a rap, he needs to be showing a side of himself that, man, I'm a student of the game. I've been watching tape. I, I, I'm, I'm going to show these I'm going to cut my hair and, and show these guys that I'm a buttoned up that, that I'm a buttoned up backup quarterback until someone gets hurt and they put me back out on that field. And then I'm going to try to tap into the greatness of Cam Newton.
4: Uh, Jason, I was thinking about what's the situation that would work for Samson Newton? Okay, so let's say he wants to play the role of the mentor. How about this? And again, a lot of pieces have to fall into place. But if you are a team that is going to invest and roll the dice, because and I, that's what I think it is, if you're going to draft this young man in the top 10, if you're going to invest into Anthony Richardson, I would not start him day one. I just don't think he's ready. But I would say, okay, Cam, if you want to play the role of Chris Chandler, To Steve McNair or be the veteran sage that can really make a lot of money on the back end, holding a clipboard like Earl Morrill or Don Strzok, I'd bring him in with the understanding, and this is where it gets a little dicey, can Cam hand over that baton after about a dozen or so games? Because you never know. Look, let's go back, and I just thought about this. Eli Manning and his family leveraged their way out of San Diego to the New York Giants, right? And The expectation is, okay. with all that, you better start. And they said no. And remember who the original starting quarterback was in front of Eli Manning with the Giants? It was Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was thought to be washed up. He was beat up. The fight had been taken out of him. Mike Martz and his system let let the quarterback naked, left him beat up and bruised. But he was such a pro. I mean, he was such a consummate veteran that provided leadership and guidance Another team said, you know what, come over here, try to teach Matt Leinart something, and guess what? He took over that spot, led them to a Super Bowl, and polished off his Hall of Fame resume. It can be done, but again, as you've noted and I've noted, it takes a little bit of self-awareness and a certain amount of maturity.
1: I think that's a great point. You know, the one team where I think Cam would make sense as a backup would be Baltimore if they had Lamar Jackson signed. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 oh. <laughs> if they, but I, I wouldn't put Cam anywhere near Anthony oh. Richardson because yeah. Cam, Cam would be like, I'm better than Anthony. He wouldn't be saying I'm better than Lamar Jackson. And he, he, he could perhaps be, if Lamar got hurt, he could get Baltimore through a few, a few games. He, he could be an, but he's just not in the right mentality.
4: Yeah, and by the way, I just saw on Twitter before we came on here, uh, the Dove Bar Kleinman, I guess he reported or tweeted that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, they're not just sleeping in separate beds. Looks like Lamar Jackson's moved out to the Hojo Holiday Inn. Looks like he's called uh, Marvin Mitchison, the famous divorce lawyer. <laughs> no, it's still his mom, but I'm just saying it looks like that relationship may have come to an end because it looks like he wants his way out. I never thought it would get to this point. I think it's sad. I think it's unfortunate. I think there are no winners here.
1: That's interesting. I'm not surprised. Mm. When you're representing yourself and you're trying to get the richest contract in the NFL, it's going to get personal when – everything you read over Twitter. And again, yeah. an agent would read all those tweets completely different. But when it's it's Lamar, when he's reading those tweets, everybody's in agreement. I'm the greatest thing since oh. sliced bread. I should get a guaranteed contract. You got guys like Jim Trotter and these people saying that all the Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Lamar, they should all come together and demand and, and hold the line on guaranteed contract. It's all a stupid pipe yeah. dream. And, Jason, and Lamar's I've got, caught up in oh, it, and he
4: doesn't. Go ahead. Jason, I've got a scenario, and it works. Indianapolis kind of needs a quarterback, right? I mean, I mean, who are they looking at now? Jake Delholm, uh, Archie Manning, Dan Fouts. You know what? Time to go young. Get someone in their prime, okay? Because they've, they've gone with the uh, age movement. Hasn't worked. Lamar to Indianapolis just symbolically makes sense, and when he moves out all his stuff, Take a Mayflower van. So from Baltimore to Indianapolis, (laughs) it's like 1984 all over again. Oh, this works. This is what I do. (laughs) Ideas like that there, Whitlock. That's why I get paid the big bucks here on Fearless. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Don't see that happening. Okay. Uh, But that that would be interesting. That would be – hey, I want to move on to a college basketball story. I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Antoine Davis – Star guard for Detroit Mercy University uh, was close to breaking Pistol Pete Maravich's all time collegiate scoring record. Uh, he came up four points short, missed a bunch of threes mm-hmm. in his last uh, regular season of the conference tournament game. The team finished 14 and 19 and thought it was going to be able to pay $28,000 and buy its way into the CBI and you know, one of these. Other postseason tournaments paid to get a CBI? into, yeah. Is and that, the is CBI? That the NIT, the NIT? Okay. <laughs> it may be the NIT of the NIT of the, of NIT. the NIT. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, But they thought they could buy their way in, and and the CBI took a lot of blowback from, including Pete Maravich's son didn't want this. To happen, they, here's a losing team, they buy their way into this tournament, the guy breaks the record, Pete Maravich's son and a lot of old school college basketball people wanted the record to remain with Pete. So, Antoine Davis doesn't get, Detroit Mercy can't buy its way into any of these tournaments. People complained. People didn't want the backlash. Wouldn't let them buy their way in. And so he was quoted yesterday saying that uh, he got cheated out of something that they can't ever give back to me. Uh, I think it's selfish and weird that people emailed or called the CBI to say we shouldn't be in the tournament because they didn't want me to break the record but there's nothing to hold my head down about. I still feel like I'm the best scorer in my generation, especially finishing number two behind Pete Merrill. Wait a minute, wait a so, minute.
0: So, <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Let me add just a little bit more context before you snap. This guy played 144 college basketball games over five seasons. Yeah. Pete Maravich holds the record having played 88 games in over three. 3 seasons. Yes. This guy got cheated? He had 144 games and and Pete Maravich had 88 and he got cheated. Pete Maravich averaged like 40 points a game in college. 44 points. This guy 40. averaged Yeah. Jason. And this guy it's it's incredible, Steve. But uh, let me just add one last piece of context. Antoine Davis's dad is Mike Davis, the head coach who used to be the head coach at Indiana. I used to know Mike. Used to be friends with Mike. Me and Mike fell out. Mike got upset because I criticized him for snapping at a Kentucky game. We fell out. So I, I I've I've known Mike. Met this kid when he was a little bitty kid. But. It's the, the other thing that's true is that Press Maravich, Pete Maravich's dad, coached him at LSU. I believe they had, of the three seasons, they had one winning season. Pete's last year, they went 22-10. and 10. Uh, All five of these years that Antoine Davis has been at Detroit Mercy, they've done no winning. I think they had, their winning season was like a 12-10 and 10 season, but the rest of the time, always a losing season. Uh, so anyway, that's the context. I just don't think this guy got cheated. Your thoughts.
4: Well, what does CBI stand for now? Can't buy in. Uh, but like you said, there is the context. <laughs> I, I mean, funny this Sunday, the only basketball I watched throughout the weekend, this is no lie. The sec network played the whole series of Southern hoops. It's like a history history of the SEC basketball, and they broke it up into decades. It was really interesting. Very well done. They did it for football, and I got into it. And the one thing about Maravich that's amazing, I think he averaged 44.3 games either throughout his career or his one season. Think about this, Jason. There was no freshman eligibility back then. So right then, that already cuts down his games played. But he did it in an era with no three-point shot and no shot clock, so really, you can make an argument that 44.3 is probably like a 60. And th- he was an absolute wizard. The stuff that he did, people are still in awe over what he did. And you're right. He never once made a tournament, didn't have a lot of players around him. Kentucky was still the dominant force. I believe he never beat Kentucky throughout his career. And But I think that matters in college sports, the context. I mean, the all-time leading scorer at one time, was Don McLean. Had a really good NBA career. He's now an analyst. But again, it took him four years. There's this guy by the name of Lou Alcinder. He didn't play his freshman year either for the varsity. So that so that matters. I mean, you gotta look deeper into this. But Antoine, if you had five years to break a record in an arrow with three point shots and a shot clock, and your dad's the coach, okay, and you got to play as a freshman, you fell short. It's a nice achievement. You fell short, and um, go back to this, you couldn't buy in. Bottom line.
1: Played 144 games. Pete Maravich played 88. Here's one thing I will say. Here's one thing I'll say. LSU didn't need a shot clock because Press Maravich just wanted his boy to shoot. Pete Maravich, I believe, over the course of his three years, averaged about 35, 36 shots per game. Uh, so so, (laughs) they weren't worried about a shot clock. They were worried about Pete scoring points.
4: I I agree. But Jason, they they weren't the, look, there are two things that happened in college basketball. When I first started to watch sports in the late seventies, early eighties, they had to institute the shot clock because teams started going four corners the whole game. And there were games that were 18, 17 at the end of regulation, but also, and this is the, I don't know if it was the anomaly Jerry Tarkanian and the Running Rebels, long before they became like this national brand, I think with Reggie Theus in the late 70s, they were scoring 110 points per game. And it was fun and it was exciting. So you had a bit of both. And so I'm looking at some of the scores of these tournament games this weekend. Way too many games in the 60s and 70s. And I'm saying this is just terrible. So what I call it now, March mediocrity. And for all those fans out there asking me, hey, what do you think about Miami being in the Sweet 16 with the men's and women's? Okay, here's my answer. With the men, I really don't care. With the women's teams, I really, 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 really don't care. Spring ball is back on. Pads are going on this week with Mario Cristobal. (laughs) There. That's what I care about. Move on. Move on with your show. Let me get back to my show later. Okay. (laughs) Uh,
1: We will. We'll we'll talk a little bit more football, college football this time. Uh, Alabama head coach Nick Saban has suspended five-star Bama recruit Tony Mitchell, a defensive Mm. back. He was arrested for drugs and guns. I think he was trying to evade the police. Uh, Let's watch Nick Saban talk about suspending Tony Mitchell, a five-star recruit. Uh,
0: Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team uh, on all team activities until we gather more information about the situation and what his legal circumstance is and,
1: um, you know, I mean. Guys, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing in being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around, and what you do, who you associate
2: yourself with, and uh, the situations that you put yourself in. So um, it is what it is. But uh, there is, you know, cause and effect when you make, you know,
1: choices and decisions that uh, put you in bad situations. So. Um, Mm, mm, mm. So a lot of people are hearing that, particularly wrong place, wrong time, and they think Nick Saban is taking a shot at Nate Oates, the Alabama basketball coach, Mm. for his handling of Brandon Miller. And, uh, you know, because I think part of the deal was like, hey, Brandon was at the wrong place, wrong time. I I I don't know if Saban is taking a shot. I I I will say this, there's a huge difference, I think, between – intentionally being involved with drug sales and a gun. And and uh, Tony Mitchell seemed to be right where he wanted to be until the police <laughs> showed up. And, and so it's not about wrong place, wrong time. It's not a coincidence. And with Brandon Miller, I'm more sympathetic because I don't think he knew what he was getting involved in. And and anyway, you, you've heard me cape up for Brandon Miller, but... Do you hear that as a shot at Nate Oates and the Alabama basketball program?
4: Well, kind of, sort of, but hey, maybe Mitchell is starting his own NIL type of business. Who knows? I mean, entrepreneurship. But anyway, um, Nick Saban, boy, when he is perturbed and agitated, it's the most—it's the most engaging he is because you could tell he's old school. He's not playing this bleeding heart liberal thing. He believes there's right and wrong, but I also realize. This, he's in the SEC. He's there to win. He does have to make concessions. I'm sure he's done them before. Uh, wrong place, wrong time. In my view, Jason, here's what I think. I think there's a real subtext here we're missing. He's basically telling his players, spring break, guys, you're not going to Miami Beach. See what's going on in Miami Beach, Jason? Oh, my goodness. What is going on over there? every year. It's every so, yeah, year. It's, yeah, but it's worse now, and I think that's his way of saying, hey, guys, you're staying in Tuscaloosa. You're working on your bench press. You're running 40-yard dashes. Okay, you're not going to Miami Beach. You're not going to South Beach. You're not going to any beach, basically. Um, And he sees the heat that is now being levied on the guy that's taking his spot momentarily as the king of college football, Kirby Smart. If you see what's going on at University of Georgia, a lot of players are running afoul of the law. And now there's a lot of heat and the microscope is on that CEO of that program. And they're saying, how much are you responsible And um, uneasy is the head that wears the crown, right? And Nick Saban is basically saying, hey, guys, get the heat off of me. I don't want it. I don't need it. I got one or two more championships in me. I want this to be nice and easy.
1: It's – I go a different direction a little bit away from Saban and analyzing that and more to like, hey, man, this is a five-star recruit at Alabama – Alabama's given out some of the best NIL packages in sports, you would think, yes, in college sports. And so, uh, you know, the left always tells us, oh, if the, these kids just had money, all these problems would go away. And, and, and I just don't buy that. It, it amplifies the problem. And, and again, th- there's a cultural Problem and cultural rot and decay and a culture that many of these kids have bought into that has to be fixed and money doesn't do that it just it lets them dive deeper into that culture of materialism and criminality and and stupidity so uh, you know Jason, I want to say I feel Nate sorry Newton? for anybody here but
4: remember Nate yeah. Newton at yeah. the top of his craft had a lot of money he was a celebrity he looked like he was headed for big things as being like a John Madden type media personality, and he was. He, it turned out he was running an underground weed dispensary. I mean, and then it all came crashing down. And then there was a receiver who played for the Cowboys and I think was on the Bears when this happened. His name was Sam Hurd, and he signed a yep. multi million dollar contract. And then he was trying to run his own business of the same variety. So, you're right. So, does money build character or does it reveal it? That's the question.
1: Reveals a bad foundation and a Mm. lot of this culture, baby mama culture, uh, this liberal criminal culture, hip-hop culture, destroys a lot of these kids. Uh, Finally, uh, Steve, speaking of bad culture, Roger Goodell Mm. getting a contract extension from NFL owners... Mm. Roger Goodell is one of the greatest survivors, I think, in all of sports. Uh, it, it's it's Adam Shefford puts out a list of Roger Goodell's uh, biggest accomplishments that I guess justify uh, Goodell getting a new contract. I'm sure Jerry Jones is rolling over in his uh, plus sheets this morning and Dan Snyder, I'm sure, just threw up in his coffee thinking about this. This is what they were trying to stop, and Papa John was trying to stop. Anyway, let's watch Adam Schefter talk about the great Roger
2: Goodell. When we look back on all that he has accomplished, there will be questions about player safety and concussions that have come up. There will be questions about the league's record on minority hirings, which has not been good. But there also has been the point that he has helped boost and elevate the value of franchises to record levels. The league played every game during the pandemic at a time when many people thought that they wouldn't. And there are all sorts of uh, profits that he's helped make for the league. He's turned the league into a money-making machine where the league is the envy of all other sports leagues in terms of the product they put out, the value of the franchises, the media rights fees, that they get each year from these networks. And so this will continue that now going forward and put to end any speculation that had existed that Roger Goodell was on his last deal. This will be his fourth extension from the National Football League.
1: Hmm. I don't think he deserves credit for any of those things that uh, Adam Schefter's giving him credit for. You know, you want to give that credit to Pete Rozelle? I got no problem with it. But that, that's all he's been living off of is what Pete Rosell built. He's just, he's a, he's a great survivor and offing Daniel Snyder and, and smearing uh, Jerry Jones' reputation. Hats off to Roger Goodell. He survived and he's going to make another $50, $60 million a year for another four years.
4: Everything that is happening to the NFL was built in large part because of the infrastructure forced by Pete Rozelle in terms of making everyone uh, on the same television deal, creating unity, parity, the way he ran the draft, um, understanding the bigger picture. Pete Rozelle did this. I don't think that job is particularly hard. Do I think there's a lot of pressure? Yes. Is there a lot of scrutiny? Yes. Are you going to be on the microscope? Yes. But with that being said, I don't think you can screw up the NFL. I really don't. Um, short of completely dismantling the game. That thing is on such automatic pilot that the three letters, NFL, the shield, as they call it, just look at the television ratings, the quality of games, I'm not so sure it's as good as it was 20 years ago. But if you look at the one sport that is proven to really capture a hold of the American public, whether it's through gambling, fantasy sports, or just the fact we have a fascination of football, Even though participation levels are down at the youth level, there's something about football that we love. I mean, think about the strength of this game is that we talk about it almost every month of the year is what they call like the vertical. And again, this goes back to uh, Pete Rozelle making the NFL draft into a television show, a full-blown primetime television show. I don't know about you, Jason, but – I would always get frustrated when I was growing up that when the draft was on a Thursday afternoon, I believe, or a Tuesday, I could watch, like, the first round for one hour. and would always get to the fourth pick, and then I'd have to get to school, and then you'd have to find out what happened, and I'd get, like, all the newspapers of USA Today and figure out, all right, who got drafted in the sixth round here, okay? And I'd actually go through all the players. Um, and then it became a Saturday thing, and like, oh, my God, Saturday, I could watch the whole thing. Now look at it. It is a primetime television show where the first round is a show unto itself. Now the Combine, I, this is how sick I am. I actually watched a lot of the Combine. I watched a lot of three-cone drill. I did. And I'm like, what am I doing? But I couldn't get enough of it. But it that is that is the Roselle impact. It has nothing to do with Goodell, and Goodell's at the right place at the right time.
1: Thank you, Steve, great job. I need you guys to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. I need you, if you're listening over Apple, give me that five-star review, leave a comment. Uh, Delano Squires, thanks. Atheists, the secular world, the culture, uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up, you, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture
3: and we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're going to stop fighting today and you're going to let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12 year old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This
0: is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down let them know you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing
3: up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory Enough. enough in prepping His disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life, and we're not gonna always get it together, but if we stay on the path, If we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
1: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put out our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Uh, we've all been sitting Monday, today, particularly today, sitting around waiting to see if Alvin Bragg and New York are going to arrest and indict Donald Trump over something involving Stormy Daniels, <laughs> something involving tax laws, perhaps something involving campaign finance. Who knows? Uh, this seems to be dragging on and on and on. Delano found a unique angle today in a column about what the real priorities are of Alvin Bragg, Letitia James, Eric Adams, and a lot of di- black Democrat politicians and how their real agenda is you know, hating Donald Trump while showing great devotion towards the LGBTQ uh, drag queen movement uh, Delano, uh, explain
0: uh, your column today. Sure, Jason. Um, I mean, exactly what you said, right? The, these politicians, and I'm thinking specifically in New York, and viewers probably already know, I'm from New York, I grew up in New York City, so there's a sort of special place in my heart for the, for the city, my family and friends still live there. But these, all three of these politicians are ones who ran on the um, their identity, right? Eric Adams is the second Black mayor of New York City. Alvin Bragg is the first uh, Black district attorney uh, for the Manhattan district attorney, and Letitia James is the first Black attorney general of the state. And all of these people ran on on some some version of identity politics, right? Vote for me. I look like you. I understand you. I understand your experiences. But then they get into office, and they they rule. They govern in a way that does not serve the best interests of the very people that they claim to represent. Um, and that's why uh, what, I said was, what I said in the piece is that Alvin Bragg, who's basically you know, made 55 percent of felony cases turn into misdemeanors, um, suddenly finds the rule of law when it comes to a potential Trump payoff to Stormy Daniels or some other process crime. That, that he intends that he potentially intends to to prosecute. And Letitia James, again, she, she is the Attorney General of the entire state, but this past weekend she hosted, not attended, she hosted a drag queen story hour um, in in New York City because apparently um, drag queens are the, are the the black left's you know primary constituency. So um, th- these are people who are completely out of step. Um, these are these are politicians. This is the P, in the politician, right? In in the aristocracy, the politicians, the pundits, the professors, the preachers, and the performers. These are people um, who are the most self-serving. And again, Eric Adams is right there with them. Um, Eric Adams, of former cop in NYPD cop, who last year sent out an official statement saying that drag queens, are an essential part of the education that New York City kids should ex- should expect to receive. So. I I have a lot of uh, feelings towards these people, and I'm I'm trying to be Christian and winsome here, but uh, I I see them as being a source of a lot of mischief in our community, not just in New York City. I only use that because it's obvious, and this has, you know, it's tied into Trump in some ways, but across the board, across the country, um, identity politics, and the notion that more black politicians are going to save the black community has been a complete and abject failure.
1: It's been a complete and abject failure, and then you humorously make the point that if Donald Trump <laughs> wanted to evade his criminal problems in New York, he should perhaps uh, do a drag queen story hour <laughs> at a school or something, and, and, and Correct. now these
0: people will all worship him. C- correct. It it would really scramble the left's brains because again, now you have two forces coming together, right? Their intense hatred for Trump and their their slavish sort of fealty towards uh, drag queens. And I'm not sure they would know how to how to you know work that out. So yeah, if if he if he dressed, put on a wig and makeup and some, you know, fake prosthetic boobs and and called himself Storm Daniel, and went down to the local library or the local school and started reading to kids. I'm not sure how the New York Times or the Washington Post um, or any of these other publications would, would handle that. They'd be forced to decide which of their two obsessions, Trump hate or LGBT worship, um, they would be willing to to, to let go of. So uh, it, it's admittedly, Jason, I did not go to law school, so I'm not sure that most uh, trained lawyers would advocate this legal strategy, but it is something that came to me yesterday. I said, if Trump really wants to get out of this out of this mind, he, he should dress in drag and, and go to a school in the library and force the, the left to declare their real priorities.
1: You made an interesting point that I, in, in, the, in the column that I really want to pick up on. You were talking about Eric Adams, but you could have been talking about Adams, Letitia James, or Alvin Bragg, that uh, their love of drag reflects the priorities of white Lululemon liberals on the Upper West Side, not working-class Black voters in Brooklyn, and and that is really the central theme that you you explore. It's like they get into office saying they're about one thing, and then once they're in the office, they really show you what the agenda is, mm-hmm. and they're always concerned about making sure that we show we're allies for. The LGBTQ, and that's really the agenda of white female women, and 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 I bring that up to say, I've heard you talk about it. I've heard other people uh, make the joke in passing that that again, all these people really have the mindset of a white female liberal, and 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 then I was looking at some studies this morning. T.J. Moe actually uh, sent them to me, where Pew Research in 2020 uh, did a study that was widely reported. People wrote stories about it. 56% of white women between 18 and 29 who identify as liberal have also reported to their doctor some sort of mental health struggle. And Mm. and when you look at... uh, the spectrum for white women who lean liberal, they are far more prone to be suffering from some sort of mental health issue than any other demographic. And and if you juxtapose it with white conservative women, for a liberal, it's off the charts. And 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 I thought of that, and T.J. sent it to me because it it it, it it's like the people with. Mental health issues mm. in a high number, white liberals, women, female liberals, that's who our who black people, black politicians, that's who our allies are. That's who we take our political cues from. That's who gives us our marching orders. That's who we're trying to please. It, 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 it really, and, and it speaks to why we have such mental health issues going on. We're, this liberal group, and again, I, I sound like a political partisan, and I guess that I am because <laughs> liberalism, I do believe is it's a mental illness. It, it, it's it's detached hmm. from logic and reason. A- am I wrong for going that far?
0: N- no, not at all. I, I think I think you're spot on. I mean, to the extent that religious affiliation has declined in this country and it's declining amongst whites and certainly amongst black folk um, I think what you've seen is that um, two of the core functions of the church and I'll speak from a Christian religious tradition one in terms of building a sense of identity who who am I right and ultimately the answer the question of who am I leads to a different question like whose am I from where did I come who created me um, when when you take church out of, out of the equation, then people look to something else to answer that question about who who am I, and and more and more, particularly the more liberal the person is, they look to their politics. Right, they look to their politics to answer that question. Now it's not just liberals, because I've I've seen some some uh, political idolatry on the right that is ex- that has been exacerbated certainly since 2016 and when Trump you know got on the scene, but. Um, there's the there's the identity function of the church um, and then there's the um, to some extent I guess the 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 counseling function right so when things are going wrong um, you know Christians will, will look to God to to make sense of it and to say okay God why am I suffering in this way and for people who no longer go to church they have outsourced that particular function to their therapists, um, and that's why now everyone throughout the culture across you know, religious lines and across ethnic background speaks in the language of personal therapy. Everything is a harm. Microaggressions, these are, these are not even terms that were part of our lexicon 30 years ago, right? And particularly for black folk, our, our aggressions used to be macro. So a, a, a dog that's snarling at you or open water holes is a macroaggression. But if you're wearing you know, a, a, a suit, a black suit at a black tie function, and and you're and you're holding a tray or you're holding some hors d'oeuvres, and somebody asks you to serve them, and you say, "Oh my goodness, uh, this person thought I was the help." Oh, I have a microaggression. We this this is not something that people used to to you know be consumed with, um, but but I think what we're seeing is, um, the loss of religion has turned many Americans, even ones who self-identify as religious people, inside. Everything is about self-talk, and how I feel, and and what someone said to me and what someone did to me, and and I think that type of narcissistic behavior um, has really been unleashed in the culture, and and you see it working its way throughout every part of of our political system in terms of or popular culture. Jason, I mean, even some of the shows we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. You know, w- when you see the most powerful or influential voices in sports media, and their constant complaint is that some uh, Lamar Jackson is not getting paid enough money, or the same people, Angela Bassett didn't win some award. It's it's always the use of uh, financial resources, political capital, um, social influence, for the the betterment and the benefit of the quote unquote elites, and that's that's one of the problems, and that, well, that's one of the things that I talked about in the piece particularly as it relates to the aristocracy, and, and I chart the devolution from the talented 10th, which some people have issues with, but there's always going to be hierarchy in, in, any, in any large enough group, to the aristocracy The former used their power and their education to try to uplift the race. They preached a message of, of temperance and self-control and education and thrift and industry, the latter are parasites who leech from the community. And they use the poverty and misery of the, of the black underclass to fuel their own interests. And that's why I use the example of of Puff, of Diddy, who told GM after George Floyd died, you know, you, you guys need to pay us some more money. And then I use the example of the USA Today article that said two years after George Floyd died. Right? This is my dramatic rereading of their tweet you know, after all these companies pledge, you know, uh, diversity and, and to improve diversity in, in hiring and so on and so forth, these these companies have come up short. And the people who haven't gotten the perks and the power are black women. And, and, and that is the Afrostocracy and that is the liberal left in a nutshell. George Floyd died on the streets of Minneapolis. Therefore, millionaires need to turn into billionaires um, black women need to get the corner office at Google and Amazon. And Robin DiAngelo needs to sell more books. That, that, that is the Afrostocracy and, and the modern left in a nutshell. So, so when you have people who think like that, I'm not surprised that they, that they struggle more with, with mental illness and mental health conditions than the average American.
1: It, it, you know, the culture is so obsessed with victimhood that, you know, just talking this through, reading your column this morning, I, I, I see the connective tissue into ter- all of it. it. The things we're talking about in terms of pre- white, if you're a liberal, you want to be a victim. And so mm-hmm. you, you go to a doctor's office and say, oh, man, I've got these mental issues that I was born into that have really, uh, you know, destroyed my life and prevented me from doing all the things that I want to do. Where when before, let's go 50s, 60s, 70s, when everybody wasn't obsessed with being a victim, you leaned the other direction. You were always trying to prove that you were strong and that you could mm-hmm. be self-reliant and self-sufficient. And, and, and so the, the partnership between black liberals who are on a constant hunt for oppression and victimhood partnering with the LGBTQ who believe they're victims and that's their common ground and then both groups have somewhat settled on but particularly black people have that proof of our victimization is Donald Trump mm. it, it's it we can no longer point to a lynching tree or a set of laws or white's only signs or segregated, so we can't point to any of those things. And so we've made Donald Trump the proof of our oppression, and so we're obsessed, and and the LGBT crowd has, Donald Trump as proof of of their oppression, even the the, the whole thing, virtually all the laws, the whole society has been set up to show empathy and sympathy for these alleged so-called victim groups. It, 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 but, you know, Trump keeps the myth alive that, you know, you can't make it in this world if you're black or if you choose to sleep with someone of the same race, which is an own personal decision that no one on on your job really cares about. If you weren't trying to make it front and center, if that wasn't, you know, your identity. You know, I, you know I'm sure I work with a lot of homosexuals, transgender, who I didn't know, I didn't care. It wasn't, I wasn't evaluating them that way, and I'm rambling, but (laughs) you gave me a lot to think about uh, this morning, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Delano. Uh, Thank you, Jason. We'll see you uh, later this week. Uh, Let's play tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. (laughs)
0: Nothing in life, like freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom